Good afternoon, church. Today we will be, um, I will be reading from Acts chapter 2, 1 through 6. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. I would like to invite our guest speaker, Chris Wan. Um, I know you guys are all, you guys have all met Chris in the past, but I would like to uh, welcome her with a warm applause. Thank you. Good afternoon, everyone. Good to see you all here. Um, for one of my birthdays a couple of years ago, my husband, generously always, had gifted me a smartwatch, uh, Apple Watch, uh, matter of fact, because I have an iPhone. And the pragmatic person that I am, I looked at the watch and I said, hmm, what kind of functionalities does it have that would um, make me want to wear this watch, right? And I decided that it did not have, for me at least, it did not have enough unique functionalities of, um, that require me to wear this watch all the time. So I did what nobody should do, and that is return the gift, right? Nobody should do that, especially if it came from your spouse. <laughs> but I returned the gift, and then later on I asked for a Fitbit because I wanted to track some stats when I exercise. Not that I exercise that often, but I wanted to track some of the stats, so I asked for a Fitbit. Because um, to me, either Fitbit or smartwatch is just an accessory. It's not a necessary, right? necessity. Whereas smartphones has become a necessity in my life. I, can't, I just wonder how we ever lived a life without smartphones. Like we, I was thinking about the times like before you know, mobile phones came into our lives. We used to print out our directions to get to places. Right? Uh, you guys are too young to know any of that, but that was the way life was. Okay? And I feel like many Christians actually approach Holy Spirit in this way. That we either don't know the power that is available to us, or that we somehow don't see the need for the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so we, are become, we become oblivious to the power of the Holy Spirit that's available to us. And to this, I want to speak today, okay? But let me first sort of set up our passage, okay? I know that Pastor Jeff was here last week and spoke on the, the fire, the uh, power from on high. So I want to take us back to first chapter just briefly. In first chapter 1, 3, I love how Scripture is refreshingly honest, because it says that Jesus spent 40 days after he had resurrected from the dead to spend time with his disciples. Why? Because the scripture says that he needed to give them convincing proof that he was alive, that he was Jesus. 
right? These people who had spent three and a half years with Jesus needed 40 days of convincing that Jesus was alive. And during those 40 days, Jesus also taught them more about kingdom of, kingdom of God, which he had done those three and a half years. So Jesus spends 40 days with, with his disciples. And I just love this patient, kindness, lovingness of Jesus. I would have been like, man, get together, get with it, right? I've been with you. You should know all of these by now. But Jesus was very patient. Um, and then he told them, wait for the Holy Spirit. It's a gift that's coming to you. And then he ascends into heaven. And then we found out, we find that later on in verses 14 and 15, that there are a special group of people that have heeded to Jesus' words. They were 11 of the disciples, some women, it says, mother of Jesus, and Jesus' brothers. They were meeting together every day, fervently, in prayer, waiting for that gift. They didn't know when or how it was going to happen, but they were committed to coming together and praying, waiting for that gift to come. Their commitment revealed what they treasured because they waited for that treasure. They treasure the word of Jesus to say, to tell them, wait, wait for this gift. Their commitment to them showed what they treasured. In addition to these special group of people, there were also 120 other people that had gathered together in these daily prayer meetings. And these people devoted themselves because they heard Jesus say, don't leave Jerusalem, wait for my gift. And so they came together waiting and praying, waiting and praying. And I wonder, I wonder, did they know what it meant to be baptized in the Holy Spirit so that they can be witnesses in the world? Did they really know what would require of them in this journey that they just embarked on? Now, the Bible tells us, our scripture tells us that it was Pentecost, which means it was 50 days from Passover, just about the time when Jesus died, right? Jesus died over the Passover weekend, and, and Passover is a Jewish uh, celebration, one of the three celebrations that Jewish people celebrated. And then 50 days from that is the Pentecost, where it's Feast of, of Weeks, where they come and really just thank God for the, the first harvest of wheat, and there are Jews that had come from all over the world and, and crowded the temple. These Jews, the devout people, were scattered all around the known world, but on this day they would come. They spoke different languages, they had different lifestyles, but they were so faithful in where they were, and they had made the pilgrimage to worship the Lord God in the temple on this Pentecost day. Then the scripture tells us that all who were gathered in that upper room, that upper room must have been pretty big to have about 120 people, and then later we'll find out there will be more people gathered. So this big room is filled suddenly with a loud 
sound of wind, and what seemed like fire, tongues of fire that came on each one of them. There was a, God revealed himself through sound and sight. And I love this about the scripture because it tells us that God's spirit is one that we can experience. It's not something foreign. It's not something distant. But God's spirit is something that, that he allows, God allows us to experience in our, through our senses. And the, uh, the passage tells us that. And even in Psalm 34, 8, tells us and invites us also to come and taste the Lord that he is good. There are senses God can be experienced. It's not just God that we know in our heads and just these uh, theological terms or these uh, religious jargons, but God is God who encounters us and we can actually experience him in our bodies through our senses, all of us, all of who we are. Now, the day of promise has come, the Pentecost, the promise, right? Um, I mean, like I said earlier, it's, it's a good thing that, you know, they didn't know how long it was going to be, but it, through God's grace, it only took 10 days of waiting and praying, right? But they were committed no matter what. They were committed but God had mercy and took 10 days to come. Now, the, it says the story, the scripture tells us that there was a sound that was so powerful, mighty, like rushing wind that came and filled the whole place. It filled the whole room. Now, I had something like this kind of an experience when we were living in Hawaii and we encountered our first earthquake. I don't know if you guys, I know there are a lot of earthquakes in California, but I don't know if you've experienced this kind. So we were sleeping, it was early in the morning, and I wake up because there is this sound that, that I hear that sounds like a mat truck driving through our neighborhood. And, and it was just so loud, like I had a high speed, right? And then immediately I am awake, and I get out of bed, and then the house starts to shake. Right? So I imagine these people there, 120 plus people sitting in a room, hearing the sound of the wind, this rushing wind, this mighty wind, wind, but they don't feel anything. They're just hearing the sound. The sound that had power behind it. And I, I find it very interesting that in our scripture, the sound of the wind is associated with filling of the Holy Spirit. You see, in Hebrew and Greek, and I heard it even in Latin, the word spirit is also same word for wind and breath. So in the, in the Old Testament, when the Spirit of God was hovering over the earth in Genesis 1, that it was the Spirit of God, breath of God, that was hovering over and here, as people are anticipating the Spirit of God, the presence of God comes upon them through a sound of wind first. And then the flames of tongue starts to come upon each person. 
The interesting part about this flames of tongue coming upon people to everyone signifies a new era, a new chapter. Because in the old days, in the Old Testament, when God showed up, he showed up to people of Israel as a whole, or he would use one specific person for a specific task, and he would empower them with his spirit. But in the New Testament, Holy Spirit is given to every single person. It's not just a special group of people. It wasn't the 11 disciples only. It wasn't just those group of people that were special or just, you know, it wasn't reserved for just men. It was for everyone. And Peter later on will get up and will testify to the prophecy of Joel that says that Holy Spirit is for the young, for the old, for daughters and sons, for slaves and non-slaves. Spirit of God does not discriminate. And the good news of the gospel is that the Holy Spirit is available to all of us, to each of us, to you, to me, to us. He does not discriminate. We do not have to qualify because we already qualify for the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. We already qualify for the Holy Spirit to be with us. Now, this brings me to the main question. Uh, Before I go to that, I want to say that when people heard, they all came and they saw the room and, and people were speaking in different tongues and they were speaking in different languages that they could understand, right? And some of them were awed, marveled, and then others were criticizing. They were saying, how can this be? They must be all drunk. It never ceased to amaze me that two people looking at the same thing can come to an opposing conclusion. So it makes me wonder. It makes me wonder if I was in that place that day, on the Pentecost day in the upper room, and if I was not part of the 120 plus, but I happened to come upon that scene, where would I stand? Do I have the discerning eyes and heart to know and recognize the presence of God? Do I have the heart and the eyes to discern the presence of God? Or will I be the one who would mark, mock the presence and the work of the Holy Spirit? May it never be so, that my heart would be so open to know when God is moving in our midst. Amen? So my, this brings me to sort of like my, my main question of this text. Now we have these Jewish people who have followed Jesus so faithfully, but yet Jesus tells them to wait for his Holy Spirit. Three and a half years, they have, they have followed Jesus. Not only that, they, these are Jewish people, which means that they know the scripture well from very young age, right? They are, they're not just a passive uh, religious people. They were pious. They were very well studied from very young age, and they knew how to worship God. They knew what it meant to go into synagogue every week and, and, and worship God and encounter God there. They were, in our terms, church people. 
just like many of us that grew up in church. They were church people. So what is it that God wanted them to have more? Unlike us, or unlike many of us, these people also already knew how to do ministry. They already knew how to be witnesses for Jesus, right? Um, from early on of Jesus' ministry, Jesus sent people two by twos and said, go, go heal people, go cast out demons, go proclaim the kingdom of God. And they've done that and they've experienced that. They already know how to do all these things. So in my view, they were already adequately prepared to be witnesses. But Jesus tells them, wait. Wait for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Wait to be immersed in the Holy Spirit. Wait to be baptized by the Holy Spirit. So what is it? What is the purpose of the Holy Spirit? And I want to propose two things, not three, two things to you today based on that. One, I want to say that the Lord has, God has given us the Holy Spirit because we live in a spiritual realm. We live in a spiritual realm. When we became a follower of, Christ, a follower of Christ, Jesus Christ, that was a spiritual act. It's not just our mere mental or act of will, but it is a spiritual act. We can only come to Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. So it is a spiritual act. And when we become witnesses, witnesses of Jesus Christ, that is a spiritual work. So God is supernatural, and he's involved in a supernatural realm. But we, on the other hand, we're not supernatural, are we? I want to be sometimes, but we're not supernatural. We are very natural, right? We are of this world. There is no power within us that we can generate to make a change or difference. Oftentimes, I feel like we fear the Holy Spirit or being baptized or immersed in the Holy Spirit because it sounds like we will lose ourselves, like that we will lose our agency, that we, it will eradicate us, that it, we, will, it, you know, we have to put aside who we are to become uh, totally immersed in the Holy Spirit. But that is far from the truth. Why would God make us who we, just the way we are to eradicate, to erase us so that he can use us for his glory? He, when we, the truth is when we come into and being baptized by the Holy Spirit, we become more of who we are meant to be. We become more of who God wants us to be, what he had intended for us. And that is one of the reasons why he wanted us to have his Holy Spirit, that we, he wanted us to be fully immersed. Because, friends, we are not dealing only in the physical. We are engaged in the spiritual realm. And the best tactic that the enemy can give us is to make us think that life is all about just what we see and feel. That is his best tactic, to just keep us to believe what we just only see, what we only hear, what we only feel. But there is a spiritual realm that is beyond us, 
that we do not see, that is acting against us constantly. So God is supernatural, we're not, and then the enemy that we have, the devil, is also supernatural being. And devil is at work at coming against us at all times. And his best strategy, again, is to keep us oblivious to what is going on in the spiritual realm. But we need to wake up to the presence of God. We need to wake up to the spiritual realm because this is who we are. We're not just flesh and blood. There's powers and principalities that is working against us constantly. And without the power of the Holy Spirit, without the work of the Holy Spirit, without being fully immersed in the Holy Spirit, we cannot live in the kingdom of God. The second reason I believe why God has, um, Jesus has asked us to wait for the Holy Spirit is because God, he is true to himself. He's, God is, one of the names of God is God Emmanuel. God with us. Jesus made a promise that, that he would not leave us as orphans in John 14, 18. God with us, which means Holy Spirit in us and Holy Spirit filling us is God's transcendence in our lives. God transcends and comes to us. Like in the Old Testament, God was the main actor. When you look at, read through the Bible, he's the main actor in humanity. Then Jesus, bearing the name of Emmanuel, comes in flesh. And he lives with human beings. But after Jesus, he sends Holy Spirit, who is with us all the time. One of the greatest, I think, tragedies of Christianity is that we live as orphans and not as a child of God. Instead of enjoying the beauty of being a beloved child, we live as if we have no, no parent, no one, to, no one that loves us, no one that would protect us. And this is what street children are like. We were in Brazil many years ago, and we saw the ministry of people, uh, ministry of people who were ministering to uh, street children. And they said, it's so hard to bring them in to safe places. We're talking little, little children. Yet they, once they have been living out in the street, they can't come in. And the way they live is that they can't trust anyone right? And they have to fend for their lives, and they use other people to survive, and they steal because nothing, nothing is rightfully theirs, and they do not have anyone to protect, so they have to protect themselves. And I wonder if we, as Christians, continue to live our Christian lives as orphans, that we go around trying to fight for ourselves, try to fend for ourselves, and then only try to manage God because we need him at times, that 
We can go to him just with our own desires. Instead of knowing that there is a very loving, yet powerful, caring, somebody who is interested, invested in us, we only approach God just when we need him. We approach God just like a, an accessory, like a smartwatch, just because when we need him, we'll go to him. But friends, to be in the kingdom of God, to be in the family of God, there's so much more that is available to us than just skimming by and protecting number one. That we don't have to be so busy being caught up, being protecting, protecting of ourselves and protecting our agenda, protecting our interest. But when we give ourselves wholly to the Holy Spirit, there's so much more to life than what we, what we can create for ourselves. But we're scared because we have that question, what if it doesn't, right? What if I give myself wholly to God, surrender wholly to the work of the Holy Spirit, and I find that there's disappointment, that I find that I'm not getting what I wanted, right? And that in itself is the spirit of orphan, because we're constantly thinking about what we need, what I, what I can do for myself. But again, the beauty is that God, through his Emmanuel presence of the Holy Spirit, is constantly inviting us and says, come, because I have something that you have never tasted, that you cannot imagine. Not only the abundance of life, but power that can come. That you don't have to try so hard to make a, this life on earth worth living. That is the invitation from the Lord. The good news is that God, Emmanuel, means God is always with us. Not just sometimes always with us. He makes himself known to us. But for this kind of life for us to have requires us to have an upper room experience. We need an upper room experience. So how do we get this upper room experience? It tells us in our scripture, just like the disciples, they continually met, right, they continually met with other believers, praying and waiting for it, waiting with anticipation, desiring it, believing for it, taking actions of faith by coming together. Even though the disciples were already promised that, you know, that the, the Spirit will come, they still came together. It wasn't like, okay, God promised, so I'll just go do what my thing and let God just show up anytime. Right? It's like, oh, God, I'm ready for you. Just, just show up. But no, they devoted themselves, and they, they were waiting for that promise, and they came together in union and, and in prayer. That was their lifestyle, to come and pray. 
If anybody else knew what it meant to be a witness, it was them. But they knew that they could not be the kind of witness that they were being called to be without the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Because being a witness is not just saying, oh, I'm Christian, believe in Jesus. That's not the only kind of witness. Witness here means to bear the presence of God. So does our life bear the presence of God? When other people see us, do they see the presence of God? When I walk into places, is there a presence of God? When there is somebody sick and I pray for them, is there a presence of God? When, when there is something going wrong, you know, can I come in and pray and there is a presence of God that dispels the darkness? If there is confusion, can I come in and pray and there is, there is confidence, there is order, there is clarity that comes into that presence? That is the presence of God that we are meant to carry. Not just in our words, not only in our words, but in our everyday being. So if the disciples need it, we know we for sure we need it. And although for me, I have experienced the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit when I was 10 years old, it wasn't until in college when I experienced the radical love of the Father. Somebody was praying for me, and, and it was nothing like crazy. He just said, God the Father loves you. That's all he said. And boom, I was just like weeping and crying and snots falling, and there was just this immense sense of presence that I felt. And I have had many encounters with God since then. And those things have shaped my journey. But friends, I never, ever want to feel like, oh, I'm used to God's presence. Oh, I'm familiar with God's presence. No, when God's presence comes, I want to be shaken to, a core, to my core and move me to have fear of God even more. Presence of God and God's power isn't for me to just hand out and be, have fun with right? Oh, I could heal. I could do things. No. It first has to move me to, to this awe and wonder of God's, who God is, and he is to be feared. He is to be honored. He is to be recognized. How do we then live every day because in, in later in Acts 14 tells us that the disciples were continuously filled with joy, continuously filled with the Holy Spirit. So how do we in the 21st century live in this mode of being continuously filled by the Holy Spirit? For me, when I wake up, this is what I do. Before I get out of bed, I just whisper my confession to the Lord, Holy Spirit. Come fill me today. Have your way today with me. And throughout the day, I try to recognize where the presence of God is. Acknowledging God's presence in my life. And then when we have to make decisions, it says that not to lean in our own understanding, but trust God with all of our hearts. And not going to God with our agenda first, 
by saying, God, I surrender my agenda to you. What is your will for this decision? What is your will for this purpose? What, is you, what, does, you, what does your heart want for me in this situation? That is the way we can continually be filled with the Holy Spirit, to be engaged with the Holy Spirit. And then when there are people who are sick, even if we may not think that we have the power, the gift of the Holy Spirit to, to heal people, we just do it. Because it's not us who's healing people. It's God who heals. Right? If there are people who, who are hurting from their relationships and, and their life is broken, we come and we pray for peace of God. Because we certainly don't have power to give peace, but God does. So it's through us that we come and bring this presence of God into our lives and into other people. And for me, this is why God has given us the Holy Spirit. Why the disciples had to wait for the baptism of the Holy Spirit and then continually filled with the Holy Spirit. If we go from here thinking that we could live our lives just any old way we live, just sometimes maybe perhaps cognizant of God and his presence, we are being duped by the enemy. We need to be alert. We need to be awakened to God's presence. Be awakened to the presence of God. So my friends, just as salvation is available to all of us, Holy Spirit is also available to all of us. It's given to us so that we can engage in the spiritual realm because there is spiritual realm. And then it gives us the power, the authority, the authenticity to say, I'm a child of God. I'm not an orphan anymore. I bear the mark of God in me. I carry the presence, the presence of holy God in me. That is what is available to us as Christ followers. So I want to just invite you now to close your eyes and just think about what you heard today. Have you been living a life of an orphan or a child of God? What would you like to choose for yourself? Have you been living the life of an orphan or a beloved, cherished, well-loved child? What would you like to choose for yourself today? And if you have already been baptized by the Holy Spirit, will you ask God to help you to continually fill you up with the Holy Spirit? That you are awakened to God. That you're awakened. Your spirit is awakened to God. And if you have not 
been baptized by the Holy Spirit, if you've not had that encounter with the Holy Spirit that awakens our spirit to know that there is more, could you ask and be committed to ask God until it happens? Could you come together in steadfastness in prayer with others until you experience God? That God does not become an accessory. The Holy Spirit is not an accessory. He is an almighty God, all-powerful God, who deserves the highest place. Friends, God's Spirit is available to you. You don't have to earn it. There's no qualification except that you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. You do not have to earn your way into kingdom. It's available to you freely. And once you do, there is this power from on high that's made available to remind us that God is always with us. That we live this life on earth with power, not in defeat. Thank you, Lord, for your work on the cross that made available for your spirit to come, to dwell in us, each one of us, that none of us are excluded. It's not for the special Christians or people who are leaders, but it's for all of us. Thank you for leveling the playing field, Lord. At the foot of the cross, we're all equal, and we thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for that gift. I pray that, Lord, that you will speak, continue to speak into my friends' hearts, that they will come to recognize that there's more to life than what we see with our eyes, that there is that spiritual realm. So awaken us, our spirit, to you, Lord. In Jesus' name.